mean, people that are discussing, talking about doing stuff like this, or they're uh, talking about uh, what's, what's going on with the church right now, what's happening with the church. And, um, and it's not really, you know, the church is whatever. What I'm seeing mostly, and it, maybe that's because that's what I'm looking for, but um, is the leadership of the church, what's happening with uh, away from some kind of uh, somebody that's a major figure that's moving uh, away from some kind of uh, stance. They're, they're moving away from a, a, um, taking a stand on something. And, uh, and again, I, I, I pick on um, the, the subject of abortion the most because I think that's one of the biggest things that's going on in our country that, that's a spiritual thing that God's not okay with. He's, this, this is, there's not a lot of things, but there's things going on in our country right now where, where God's judgment will be brought because we see God's word says that. And, uh, and abortion is one of these things. And so I'm starting to see where some of this, some of this is pushing pastors and churches and church organizations and all kinds of stuff to talk about how abortion is a political subject. And abortion is not a political subject. It's, it's a moral subject. We've allowed society to frame that for us, but it's not a political subject. Um, this, is, this is a moral subject. This is a spiritual subject. And it's a, it's a humankind subject that, um, that, that we've made uh, um, killing, murdering one whole s- subclass of our people group that's an innocent uh, group that we're just murdering them. It's okay now. It's legal. It's all right kind of thing. And so with that, I want us first to go to um, Amos chapter 7, verse 7. Um, Then he showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. You guys know what a plumb line is? Uh, Most of you probably do. If you don't, um, this is what I assume is happening. This is what I assume uh, this guy is doing. He's got some kind of weight at the bottom of a string, and he's holding that up, and the, and the weight holds um, this down. My grandfather uh, was kind of like a um, hobby carpenter kind of guy, but, but he had a bunch of little things that he would do. He, he showed me how to uh, find level without a level. Um, there is such a way to do that. Uh, plumb line, like old-time plumb lines, where you just have the string and you have the stuff, and and uh, in fact, he would, he would look at something, go like that, grab that board and just cut it, and it would fit. I don't know how he did that, because I can measure like seven times. <laughs> look, 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 measure, go measure. I mean, you know, measure twice, cut once. I measure like 12 times, cut seven times. <laughs> but this plumb line thing, it, it's, um, it just will show you uh, um, level up and down, uh, vertical level, right? And so you can build things by walls, up stuff like that kind of thing. So this is what he's doing is we're seeing that, he said, that he's saying here, I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that, had, was, used, that had, it was using a plumb line, a string, weight. Now, what is the, the purpose of this plumb line in this particular scripture? Okay, that he's using this um, th- this is a visual that I think is that uh, Amos is seeing here, but I think the Lord is using this um, to show him something spiritual and metaphorically. He's not, he's not showing Amos how to build a wall, okay? That's not the point. He's showing Amos how to build something much more important, all right? I saw him, pre- um, I'm sorry, 
I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. What's he talking about? He built the nation of Israel straight to see if they're still straight. Yeah. But they're not. But they're not. But they're not. <clears throat> What's that, James? Yeah, if something had changed the wall, whatever it is, forces, there's, there's always forces pushing. Um, settling would be good. Also, uh, something literally trying to move the wall. Not, not just settling. There's, I, I think settling is one thing that, that, and he's obviously talking about the people of God, and I think settling is one of the things that, that we need to be concerned with. But also, there are, there are sometimes forces that are literally trying to move that wall, trying to change the... the um, the efficacy of that wall. And so, um, erosion. Yeah, that's good. These are good words. Um, so, and he's saying he wants to see if the wall is still straight. So what is the Lord's desire for this here wall? For it to be straight. Yes. This is how he built it. This is the expectation of that, that wall, the people of God, is this is how I designed you and this is what I expect from you. Okay, now this is, this is, this is important because um, we, we, we can get to a place, well, we have got to a place in our country, and, and it's easy to do personally, but it's also easy to do uh, corporately, we get to a place where we're not what God had intended. And now, guys, this is where this is very important for us as the church to see this. I, I, I've said this before. This is, this is what it always reminds me of. Years ago, in, in, when I was 20 years old, I went to be the youth pastor of a church. A few months later, I'd gone back to um, Texas to get married to Linda, my first wife. And, um, and while I was there, I talked to one of my mentors, uh, one of the guys in the college ministry that I'd gone to, and uh, we were sitting around, he says, how do you like being in ministry? I'm 20 years old, I didn't know it. I was like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to start shaving here pretty soon, so you have no idea how true that was. I still wouldn't have to shave today if I didn't go to boot camp. And uh, so I, um, I was telling him about it, I said, man, it's, it's rough, the church is... There's like no Christians in the church. Uh, it was a rough setting. It was a very rough setting. And, and, um, and, and I, I didn't, I had never experienced this. Linda, Linda grew up in ministry. She knew how people can be in churches. I grew up in the church um, from about five till I was well, a teenager. And I served God when I was a kid. But I didn't see the same thing she saw. We were outsiders. We were, you know, there's a difference. You, you guys don't know, okay? I know. Um, there's a difference. And I'm all of a sudden inside the workings of the church, and I realize that there's a lot of people that aren't Christians in the church, which surprised me. I thought everybody was Christians. And, um, and I'm telling this guy, this mentor friend of mine, I'm like, it's rough. It's, you know, they, they are they're not serving God. They're, 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 it's all, they're only about money. They're only about themselves. And I just went through this. And he listened to me for a while, and finally he said, you know, you're saying they a lot. I was like, right? And he said, aren't you the youth pastor of that church? Yeah. He said, when does it become us or we? When is it my church? 
our, we are struggling with God. We are backslidden. We are missing God. When does it become we rather than they? And I, and I hadn't processed that before pretty much ever in my life. I did, I'm not a, specifically younger, I wasn't a they, a we kind of person. It was more of a they. Uh, with pretty much everything in my life, it was them. They're the bad guys, right? Not me. They're the, they're the ones that are wrong. So I really began to process that, and I, and I came back to the church, and I began to really pray and seek God, and, and, um, and, and, and began to say, okay, God, then how does the, the we apply? God showed me a few things. One is you can't ever change something uh, from the outside. You just really can't because people see you as... as um, being disingenuous or picking on them or not knowing what's really going on or what the case is. You really got to change things as best as you can by being a force from the inside. How to really get in and, and move things and change things. And I'm pretty sure that's an overgeneralization, but, but to really process this. And so I began to really change the way I prayed and I began to say, God, please forgive us. Please change us. And, and God immediately began to show me I was, as, I was as much or more they than they were. I didn't know that. I assumed I was solid. We, I was a solid uh, me, and they were a bad them. And God really began to change me in the process, and really to, to look at this. And one of the things I've learned over the years, this is actually a. I got this from a, a, from a quote from Hitler. <laughs> um, but it's a good quote from a bad man. Okay. Uh, Hitler said that um, no, nobody will ever rise above the leadership. Now, he meant it more of a force of directive. I believe it's a spiritual thing. Um, uh, I, I, every now and then I've seen people rise above leadership, but usually when that happens, they become something else. They do something else. Uh, leadership has got to always be pushing and leading. You can't you can't lead from behind. And I've seen books about this, leading from the middle, leading from behind, leading on. And I understand those are for people within organizations and stuff that are trying to, to do that. But I, I, leaders lead from the front. Um, fathers, you don't lead your families from behind. You, you don't lead your family standing behind Eve when she eats the apple. Uh, you, you, you lead by getting out in front and saying, this is where we're going. And then, you know, some people talk about, well, if the leader runs off and leaves uh, everybody, I, that doesn't usually happen. That's not really the struggle within life and family and, and churches and, and uh, business and everything else. We, we usually struggle just keeping up with people or doing something that's um, progressing. Don't, don't worry about getting too far out in front. It's always easy to pause for a little bit and let people catch up than to try to push. What does it mean to, to really set that standard? And so God really began to, to change my thinking a lot of stuff with that. And, uh, and, and I realized over time that who I am uh, as a minister is way more important than what I say or the structures that I build or all of that other stuff. Uh, who I am sets the stage for, for many things. If I'll stay consistent... With pursuing God, I can be the mediocre leader that I am, and, and people will still get it, and they'll still stretch out for the Lord, because I'm going to set that standard first in my own heart, and then I'm going to set it 
uh, the best I can around the people that I know. And, and little things, this, this, I'm kind of summing up a lot of stuff that's like my life journey here with some of this, but little things like being the same person all the time, that's a big thing for me. Not, not a fake person sometimes, and then my pastor person sometimes, all that kind of stuff. To, to my detriment, did you guys know that? I am the same all the time, and it, and it hurts me sometimes. People expect me to be fake. They expect me to be uh, plastic and disingenuous. That's, that you say, no, they don't. They do. They want me to always be pleasant and nice and always say the pleasant and nice thing no matter what happens. I'm the fun, good, positive clown. Right? Might you have your hand up? Yeah. Oh. You're supposed to be an automaton when you're a pastor. Yeah, yeah, you are. I don't trust me if I'm like that. And I know this, guys, because I was that way at one time. As I was, as I was going from youth pastor to pastor, I was trying to figure out who I was and what this was. And I had a lot of people talking to me, a lot of examples. I mean, I became a pastor very young. And so I had a lot of people that were speaking life into me, and they didn't know it was not. And um, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but my first pastor that I was a pastor, th- this guy was not a good guy. He was, he was broken in so many ways and dishonest, all kinds of things. And so um, when I first became his youth pastor, and I was related to him also, um, he handed me a big old... St- I preached once, okay? Got in, I preached in the service. And after, like the next day, he hands me a big stack of cassettes and says... I want you to listen to these with Jimmy Swaggart. He said, I want you to listen to these and learn to preach like Jimmy Swaggart. And at the time, I thought, that's a good idea. Now I realize that's the stupidest thing I've ever been told. Jimmy Swaggart's Jimmy Swaggart. I'm not. So, so in the process of trying to figure out who I was, I, this is one of the things. I know, I'm, I know I'm not being fair because there's more to this than, I, and, than I'm saying, but this was the way I was perceiving it, and so this began to be an influence. Um, and, I'm not, and I'm not assessing the reality of the relationship of the people involved. I'm just assessing the way I perceive the relationship of the people involved. I would go to these, these meetings. Now, I'm, I'm 20, 21, 22-year-old youth pastor, and I'd go to these meetings with pastors because it's what you were supposed to do. And, um, and, and I would, we'd, go, we'd have a prayer meeting. There'd be like 30 pastors in this room. And we'd all be standing out talking about the, the cowboys. This was Texas. And, um, and the, the, the rangers and all this kind of stuff. And we're just talking and all that. And everybody's getting to know each other. And we had lunch together, all this kind of stuff. And then we'd walk in the sanctuary. Everybody'd be talking. And then everybody would kneel down to pray or walk around however they were going to pray. And all of a sudden, they would completely transform. And they could only, from this point on, speak King James. I'm not making this up. Now, this was 30 years ago, but all of a sudden, bless God in heaven. And, and I'm hearing this all over the sanctuary. And I'm not, I don't know what their real relationship with Jesus was, but this always got me. Is what happened to you? Where did you change? What happened to the person that was standing out there talking about the cowboys as opposed to the person that knelt down and now has to to pray loudly in King James? That bothered me so much. 
it messed with my head. I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't get through it. Now, I know some of those guys. One of those guys was my pastor, and he was a good man, and he loved God deeply. And he wasn't quite as bad as most of the other guys, but, but it, it just always confused me. And then we were standing around, speaking, talking, hanging out, doing all that kind of stuff. And then they would get up behind the pulpit, and they would begin to preach. And the same thing happened. Who is this person? It wasn't the person I was talking to. I'm sorry, I'm really hurting. I had a mild surgery today. And it's killing me. You do not know how bad I do not like shots. Ugh. So it's a mild surgery for me. <laughs> Linda has to be there with me when I get a shot. I'm, I'm not kidding. No. She, she offered me a lot of stuff, orange juice, chocolate, something. She's like, sir, you don't look so good. I'm like, I'm fine. No, Linda does have to be there. And when they start to stick the needle in my arm, she wraps her arms around me and I put my head in her chest and I just sit there like this. And the, and the nurse said today, what kind of wimp are you? <laughs> and I, I told her, I said, I don't care. I'm a wimp. I know that. And then when she gave me a shot, I'm like, I'm not a wimp. <laughs> not a shot. She took my blood. So. <laughs> so, guys, I own it. I am not embarrassed by that. I own it. I, am, I can't do needles. So... So I would see these guys transform. I would see them completely change, and I made decisions. That's not, that's not going to be who I am. There are certain things that, that I have established for me that does cause me problems sometimes, okay? But this is the way that it is. And here's my thinking. This is my rationale. I don't think it causes me near as much problems long-term. It just causes me problems short-term. When people think that I'm, I'm not nice or I'm arrogant or all, I get all those things. I've had all those things for years and years and years which I'm not all those things. I am the least arrogant person you'll ever meet. So I'm like, I'm like Moses, where it says, um, and Moses was the most humble man on the earth. You know who wrote that? Moses. So, so this thing with me, people don't, I don't respond sometimes the way people think I should, sometimes because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a little oblivious sometimes to the way people emote. I don't think I emote as much as most people. And um, I definitely know I don't. And so that comes across sometimes as, well, he doesn't care and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing that I, I, I really believe. If I will always be true and honest, completely true and honest, that means to me also, I, I'm true and honest with me. I don't, I don't go home worrying about whether I was fake or whatever. Sometimes I go home going, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I get that, okay? But, but I, am, I am true to myself. Because I believe if I'll be that way, um, people will see that. Over time, it takes time sometimes, but, but people will see that and they'll know that and it'll be something that's a little more respected, I believe. It doesn't always work out that way. I have people that debate this with me and right, after, right before they leave the church. And uh, I, I get that, all right? But here's, here's part of the thing with me on this is because this also comes into the way I look at church, the way I, I look at ministry, the way I preach, the, everything. I believe that God has a standard. And I believe that we're expected to meet that standard. Whether, 
whether we believe that we should, like it, or anything else, there is a standard and God is going to hold us accountable to the standard. Now, what is the standard? First and foremost, it's his word. Okay, but then there's more to it. There's where the Holy Spirit's speaking to us and stuff like that. But, but God is going to hold us accountable. And this is the part that, that we struggle with sometimes. He says, and the, Lord, uh, the Lord said to him, Amos, what do you see? And I answered a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore all their sins. That's a great little sentence. If you just want to take that, uh, that sentence and versions of that through Scripture and just study that, there's tons of places throughout Scripture where God says things like, um, that you used to could be wandering out in the dark, but now you're accountable, that kind of thing. I used to not hold you accountable for this, but now I'm going to hold you accountable for your sins. That, that mentality. You've got to look at where, where God says that throughout Scripture. The pagan shrines of your ancestors will be ruined and the temples of uh, Israel will be destroyed. I will bring the dynasty of King Jeroboam to a sudden end. I think in the macro, we could easily apply some of this to our country, right? We know that. But, but rather than do that in the macro, I've done that a lot over the last six, eight, nine months. I'd like us to really process, not the they mentality, but the we, the us, the me. Lord, where am I either matching up or I'm not matching up with who you are, want to be in my life, and who I'm supposed to be? Where am I not matching up? You, you, you have a standard. You have a plumb line. Hold that up to my, to my life. You know, David, search me and, and know my heart. Well, hold this, hold this, uh, this plumb line up to my life, Lord, and, and, and then show me where I'm matching up and show me where I'm not. If we'll just honestly come to God with that, it, it won't be easy sometimes. Sometimes it is, but it won't be easy. But, but who you are when you come out on the other end of that conversation or time of prayer, and sometimes it takes a little while, uh, can be extremely powerful and life-changing. And it can just be little things. It can be big things. But where God begins to work on us and say, hey, this is, this is something that you've got to change. This is something that, that it's not okay the way that it is. You, you're, you're hurting yourself and others or the kingdom of God and a bunch of stuff by, by this still being your life. And this. You know, different things where there's a, there's a, a place in, well, it's a, a, Psalms has a couple of these, but Proverbs had a place too that talks about the secret sin in our hearts. Where, where God knows the secret sin and we can't hide that from him. It's interesting that the Lord calls it secret sin because that means he recognizes that we think it's a secret. Right? But he's talking about it, which means it's not a secret. He's talking about it. So we, we think it's a secret. We think we can cover it and hide it and all that kind of stuff. You guys, I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't, I don't want you to... I, I, sometimes I, I, I know because I've had people say things to me over the years. Pastor, did my spouse say something to you? No. I, <laughs> I don't know. Now, when I was a youth pastor, sometimes I would have teenagers say things, and then I'd preach about it, you know. But um, the parents are like, man, how does he know? You know, that kind of thing. But... But there is a standard. There is a standard. And that's, that, should, that, should be, that should be what we strive for. That should be what we, what we push for. Right? That should be the goal that we have. Is, Lord, you've got a, you've got a plan 
And if I know that God is real and I know that he's got a plan for me, shouldn't I be searching that with everything in me? Think about what I just said. If we know that God is really, truly real, and we know that he, you know, before I was born, while I was still in the womb, he set me apart for his purpose. Shouldn't I be seeking that purpose out at all times? Shouldn't that be my number one defining thing in life? You, you, you're doing all the other stuff, you know, your, your work, your setting, your life, all that, your family, but all of that should be rotating around this central theme that is, God, who do you desire me to be? Who have you planned for me to be? What, what, is the, what, is the, what do you see uh, 20 years in the future as opposed to what I might think or, or plan for 20 years in the future? That, that, should be the, that should be a daily goal, right? I mean, shouldn't that be our plan? Lord, every time you show me um, a weakness, I, I went to, I, so one of my classes, and let's see, this would probably have been in my master's program. I went to this class, and, and the class was, I don't remember exactly what, it, most of my classes in master's and doctorate were leadership because my degree is in intercultural spiritual leadership. Uh, my master's and doctorate, one of them is in that, and some, one of them is something similar, okay? Uh, it's on my wall in my office if you want to know what it is, but I don't remember right now. So, um, but, but here is, here is um, so I go to this class, and this class is about uh, developing, you as a leader, developing yourself. How do you do that? How do you become a better leader? Those kind of things. And then uh, how do you develop those around you and that kind of stuff? The first half of the class was how do you develop you? So we took all these tests and we did all this stuff. I've taken so many personality tests and leadership personality tests and organizational leadership personality tests. All, I'm probably a, a couple hundred in, in 10, 12 years of degrees. And um, this is one that stuck out with me. So we take this test and then they assess the strengths and weaknesses that you have as leaders. So you get this big graph, and it's bar graphs going up, you know, shows you strong here, weak here, strong there. And then the professor puts this up on, on a screen, and he's going he's gonna to show us something. And he says, now look at this. Where should be your first area of attention put to? Look at your graph. And I'm looking at my graph, and it's like, like one big thing, a bunch of little ones, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. A strong personality and no good at anything else. So, um, so I'm, I'm looking at this, and I've got strengths, weaknesses, all this kind of stuff, and I'm, I'm looking at the graph, and, and he puts his graph up of his uh, strengths and weaknesses, and, um, and he says, where should I address first? And everybody goes kind of down the line, goes to the smallest little bar and says, right there, you should work on whatever that is. And he says, no, don't do that. Work, work on what's already your strength and make it better. And I, and I get that. And I sat and listened to it, and he explained all this stuff, and I'm like, that's good. And as a, as a pastor, now let me, let me explain the difference because I'm about to go in the opposite direction. As a pastor, leader, boss kind of person, I really do try to work on my strengths and put people around me that can do, that, that help in areas of weakness, okay? That's like, that's like CEO 101, right? But he, What's that? Yes. So, so here is, here's what I 
began to process a little bit, and I said, okay, at what particular point do we switch this and we begin to address this on a personal level in relationship to our walk with Christ? He says, oh, you can do the exact same thing. And he said, even in your personal walk with Christ, don't deal with your weaknesses, only deal with your strengths. And I'm like, I don't think that's legit. And everybody in the class and him completely disagreed with me. And I tried to debate him for a while, and I finally realized uh, there's a lot of narcissism in this class. Um, but I, I, I told him, I said, if you never deal with your weaknesses, how are you truly a Christ follower? Because Christ followers deal with their weaknesses. Christ followers put their weaknesses before the Lord and say, Lord, I need his that I may decrease so that the Lord may increase. It doesn't say, I may increase so that the Lord may increase. There's a brokenness and a humility that comes along uh, with repentance that says, Lord, if, you know, if, I, if I'm 7, 8, 9 in some areas, but, but my, um, my uh, care for people is a 2, would I just never deal with, I never care for people? I'm like, you know, I'm going to hire somebody else to care for people. I'm going I'm to hire somebody else to love others. I'm not really a love others kind of guy. Right? You understand what I'm saying? And I've, got, I've got a real arrogance in this area, Lord. So I'm going to hire people that don't have an arrogance in that area, and I'll just ignore it. And I discussed this a lot, and they said, the problem is you'll spend all your time working on your weaknesses, and your strengths don't increase. Here's my approach to that. I don't care if my strengths ever increase if I'm going to stay weak right there. I'm not okay with staying weak right there. I'm not okay with weakness or, or rebellion or sin or anything that I'm going to keep down because I just am not going to deal with it and I'm going to focus on my strengths. Now understand, there's a different context in, a, in, a, in, a, in just your leadership aspect, but here's my thing. If we look across the country today and, and many powerful, great leaders you can tell they have worked on their strengths, but they never worked on their weaknesses. And that's why they can be so broken when pressure comes. Because they never actually worked on who they were. They only worked on how they interacted with others. They never dealt with them. If we will allow the Holy Spirit to work on us, it's amazing how we can in, and really develop and change and work with other people. Some of my greatest abilities to interact with other people is to be able to say, yeah, I really made some mistakes there. Let me tell you what I did about it. Man, I really, I really blew that right there. Let me tell you how I did it. I, I've got a, um, a friend of mine. He was my youth pastor 16, 17 years ago. I don't, it, was, it was a while back. And um, he just called me the other day. And, and uh, we, we worked really well together. He was a good friend. We didn't end well together. Okay, there were some things that happened, um, and, the, and the skinny of it is basically, um, I fired him, he resigned, kind of like in the same sentence with each other, okay? I don't know which came first, but, but I like to think I fired him first. But uh, it, it didn't end well, and it, and it shouldn't have ended that way. And over the years, we put back the relationship, and we're, well, he called me the other day, and he said, you know what, I've never uh, gone here, I've never addressed this. 
said, I'm reading this book right now. He told me what the book was. He said, you should get the book. And he said, because God has really been convicting me that I didn't try to do whatever I could to stay there when, when he was working with me. He said, I think if I would have stayed there, God still had a lot of things he wanted to do with me and my, my own self and whatever got in the way, and I, and I left. And I said, well, you can't own that by yourself. I did say the words, you're fired. <laughs> you know, so um, I didn't laugh when I said it to him. But um, I did say that, and I said, you know what? I know without a doubt that I missed God there, and you should have been there longer. There's no doubt about that. I said, we both made a major mistake there. So here's what we do. Don't make that mistake again. Don't do that again. I, I can tell people what it is to fire somebody and not should have done that. I know that. And so what do I do? Just never deal with that? Never go there? Never deal with my arrogance and my, my uh, boisterousness and my closed-mindedness? Never deal with that because that's a weakness. I'm going to work on my strengths. I fire people good. <laughs> right? You understand what I'm saying? I've got to go there. I've got to work on that. I've got to do that. Now, here's where when we go back to, to Amos chapter 5, we're going we're gonna to continue with, um, with where we left off. Now, there is a song about Amos chapter 5. If you read through Amos chapter 5, you're like, Who, how could somebody write that into a song? One of my favorite singers uh, wrote a song about Amos chapter 5. Um, we can talk about it, or I can let you listen to at least some of the song. Want to listen to some of the song? Okay, it's by a guy named John Foreman. Um, he is the lead singer of Switchfoot, a Christian rock band for probably 10 albums. I don't know how many they put a lot, maybe seven or eight. Um, but he came out with his own albums. He came out with a few of them. And uh, his first uh, solo album was very eclectic, very acoustic. This is it. John Foreman, and uh, yeah, if you if you go to Switchfoot, but but it's not a Switchfoot album; it's just a John Foreman album. What's that? Instead of a show. Yes, instead of a show, that's the name of the song. The whole album's great. He does the Lord's Prayer there too, in that song. I mean, in that um, album. 
acoustically. It's great. It's one of the best I've ever heard. Um, which is difficult, the Lord's Prayer, to sing, right, kind of thing. Um, you guys want to know a story about that? Okay, since you asked. Um, <clears throat> years ago, I was playing, um, I was, I was, we had gone out to a park, I'd taken my youth group, we had, a, we had a band in our youth group that traveled around <clears throat> and did a lot of music and and stuff like that. In fact, my entire youth band went and formed a, a, a Christian band that became pretty popular um, and left me. But we, we, um, we just travel around, do stuff, and, and set up. We'd just go to a Walmart parking lot and set up a trailer and just start playing music. And when people would come up, we'd, we'd you know, have, we'd, I'd, then I'd preach a short little message and people would honk their horns or come up to the stage and we'd pray for them and stuff like that. We did this all the time. We and we uh, played a lot, this was East Texas, we played a lot in, um, in the black community there in the black churches. We got asked quite a bit. I got to, got to play with um, a guy named Kirk Franklin a couple of times, um, things. And, and so we were, we were doing this. We didn't realize we'd gone to a park on, on June 19th. And uh, I did not know there was something called Juneteenth. Okay. Um, and this was, this was an all-black neighborhood, and this is... I, I don't have time to explain Juneteenth. Look it up. So, um, but we're out there, and we set up the trailer, and we do all this stuff, and, and we're, we're usually very... I mean, all, all of them were teenagers except me, and I was only like 23, 24, and, and um, we started doing the music and everything, and, and everybody in the parks and the crowds and everyone around just turned their back to us. They wouldn't acknowledge that we were there, which was not normal for us. And we're like, something's not right here. And, um, and we're doing all, I mean, just all kinds of, of praise songs, worship songs, and Christian rock songs, all kinds of stuff. And after about 30, 40 minutes of playing, we realized this is not going well. We, we're done. So we're just about to start packing up, and this, this very old man comes up, and we had some stairs up there, and he climbs up on this semi-trailer bed, and he walks up to me and says, do you mind if I say something? I said, please, go ahead. So he grabs a microphone, and he, and he, and he starts just, a, he, was a, he was a minister in the local area, I didn't know that. And he just starts admonishing everybody, attacking them, pushing against what they're doing and thinking. He said, these, these kids have come out here today to try to minister and help you know who Jesus is. Half you say you know Jesus, and you're shunning them. That's not knowing Jesus. And he just preaches to them for about 30 minutes. And we're just sitting there, and I'm just playing a piano behind him because it, it, it's a black culture thing. Switched to an organ. Okay, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I'm pretty good at that. So every time he'd say something, you'd go. So, um, so this is happening. And then he says, I got an idea. Can you follow me? And I'm like, I can follow you. And he starts singing, so I'm playing along. I played by, until I was about 20, 20 years old, I'd never seen a chord sheet or anything. I always played by ear. Everything was by ear. And so I start following the guy. We're playing songs, and I knew most of these songs, and we're playing, doing all this stuff, you know. And, and uh, the kids are kicking it. They're loving it. And they all kind of crowded over so I could shout out the chords because they couldn't play by ear. So we're, we're playing, doing all this stuff, and it's a lot of fun, doing all this kind of stuff. And then the guy says, anybody have any uh, um, suggestions? right? Somebody shouted one out, and he says, you know, let's play it. So I just follow him and all that stuff. And then this guy gets up and comes up to, walks up on the truck bed and says to the pastor, do you mind if 
I sing a song. Well, I immediately recognize this guy is drunk off his gourd. He is way drunk, okay? He goes into the microphone, and he, he says, follow me. And I was like, I'll do the best I can. And he starts singing the Lord's Prayer, which I wouldn't be able to play if I had the music in front of me. This is a very difficult song to play. And he's changing keys like every other note, and he's drunk. One time he kind of falls down, stands back up, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm just hitting a lot of chords behind him. Finally, the pastor leans over and says, just, just stop, you're making it worse. So I was like, all right, that was my story. Okay. <laughs> um, guys, here's the thing with this, this song that got in my spirit, and, I, and I, I, this whole album I used to play over and over, because this whole album has that feel to it. John Foreman is picking on the things that the church it's become the church, but it's not really what the church is supposed to be. Guys, guys let's look at this, because um, starting in verse 18, Amos 5, what sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here, you have no idea what you're wishing for. The day will bring darkness, not light. We, we do that in the church. I've done that. We say, we say things like we quote out of Revelation where John says, even so, Lord, come quickly. And, and according to this, now this is an isolated part, and I don't think it's totally encompassing, but I think it's good enough. I don't think we really know what we are saying if we are saying, Jesus, even so, Lord, come quickly. I want the Lord to come back. I really do. But if Jesus comes back today, I have friends and family that are going to go to hell. That's, that, that should sober us as the church. And there should be something, there should be something stirring in us that says, Lord, that's not okay. I got to do something about this. I got to do something. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a wall in his house and he's bitten by a snake. You ever been there? You know, what is the saying from the frying pan into the fire? We, it, we, 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 we do this, and I think this is a good human nature thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, but we're always looking for grass that's greener on the other side, right? I think that's a good human nature thing, but I also know that it will cause you problems because God has you where he has you for a reason, and you're doing what you need to be doing for a reason, or you should be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And what I read a, f- a few weeks ago, where, um, where Paul says, uh, be about his name just escaped me. He says it in, in um, um, to Onesimus's owner, Philemon, right. Be, no, it was somebody else. But, but you understand, he says, be about the ministry that God gave you. Because we got to be about the ministry God gave us. And here's the thing, is sometimes when you're doing what God says, you're going you're gonna to run from a bear, be attacked by a lion, run from the lion, you know, bitten by a snake. I get that. But, but he's saying it here from a point of view of judgment. That the reason that's happening is because we're, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Okay? Now, this is the part of Christianity we don't like this, and, and we don't... We, we push against this. We don't preach and teach this anymore. Now, I believe there should be a balance because when I was growing up, the only way, this is the only way I heard preaching was everything is bad. You're a sinner. We're all going to hell. 
But if you, just, if you just never, ever stop repenting, you might possibly make it to heaven. And, and I don't believe with that mentality. I, got, I believe that God is wanting to catch us doing good things. His grace is big, all kinds of stuff like that. But I also know there is a reality to his judgment. We have to, we have to know that. We have, to, we have to go there. He says, yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless without a ray of joy or hope. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. This has convicted me so many times over the years. I have wondered how, how many times I have fallen into the trap where when, when church is over or a service is over, our season of, the, of, a, of our church existence is over and God looks at it and, and does he say, that was good, well done. Or does he say, and I did not, like that's just a show. You're just putting on a show. Is it about me or is it about the show? This is, this is why I preach against this stuff so much. Where we have come in the American church, we have, we have built a show. And I have, I have participated in that show. But, but, I, but less and less over the years. And I'm just to a point in my life now where I just don't want the show. I just don't. I'm 50 years old. I don't have much time left on this earth. Some of you that are older should be very worried. <laughs> I, just, I just don't have time for the show. I, just don't, I, I caught when, when my kids were here, I caught myself a couple of times just preaching to my kids. You know, Isaac is here, so he hears me every week, but my oldest is not, and my daughter's not, and I would, got her on, um, on um, FaceTime, and I was just preaching to them all. Guys, it's about... It's about intimacy with Jesus. It's not about all the stuff that we do. It's about getting close to Jesus and staying there. And as churches, we should be reaching out for the Lord. We should be desiring two basic things. What are those two things? Scripture tells us. I like those two also. That's not what I was going to say, but those are very good. <laughs> Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. As is not all the other stuff. His will and his glory. We're going to amend that. Addendum. It, 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 loving God with everything. Making sure that we're not loving the stuff we do more than we love God. And that we're truly loving people, not enabling them because we're scared to tell them what truth is. And calling that love. We do that too much. We do that in the church right now. That's, that's who we are as the church right now in America. We, we, tell, we do not tell people the truth because we're scared to offend somebody or something else and, and they, are, they, they labor under a false pretense, under, under wrong knowledge, under a broken system that you've got leaders that are telling the masses non-truth stuff but telling them this is the truth. And that we're all just, we're all okay, don't stress over everything, everything's going to work out. Guys, it's not just all going to work out. We will all stand before a holy God someday, and we will be accountable for our decisions. We will be accountable for our life. We will be accountable for the sin. We'll be accountable for the rebellion. We'll be accountable for all the stuff. And we'll be accountable also, and this is where parts of the church get caught up in in America too, is we will also be accountable for the times when we were silent. And we should have spoke up and stood up. This includes Canada, too. 
He's, he's from Canada. He says, I will, I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't accept your offerings. Just leave offerings. We don't do grain and burnt offerings, but it's the same concept. I'm not going to accept your offerings. Because that should, that should bother us a little bit. That should bother us, Al. Yeah, it's not really the. The offering itself is um, neutral. You understand that? I have heard ter- people talk about how money is evil. Money's not evil. Money's neutral. Love it's loving it, and loving it. Man, we can do that good in America, can we not? And we can love money and the stuff of money. Right. Yeah, yeah. I've heard people say that. Well, that's be, that. That's because um, uh, Cain brought vegetables and Abel brought meat. And all that. That's not really it. That's not the point. Yes. Right. It was the heart of it saying. Now, here, here's why there's certain things that Scripture says. This is why the word first fruits is so important when it comes to finances. What does what does first fruits mean? The very beginning, the, the healthiest, the first of whatever, right? The ripest, best, whatever. And we, this is this, how does this work this, in our, when it's, we're not in a, you know, I don't, I don't grow things, right? I don't, I, I just give a check. So how does that work in a financial check mentality? First fruits. This is something that is a big deal that we should process because this comes to that plumb line and standard. The idea that if I'm going to give my first fruit, and I've done this for years, by the way, okay? For years and years and years. Uh, the, the very first check, I don't do checks nowadays because, that you know, checks. This is 2021, people. Um, so, uh, but for years and years, the very first thing that, that you could look in my checkbook, and this was a thing for me, I would not write one bill until I wrote my tithes. And I've had people say, and question this a lot, many people over the years, well, what if you don't have enough money to pay all your bills? Shouldn't you be responsible to pay your bills and responsible to the creditors and the credit card people and all this other stuff? And I say, yes, but not before my God. So if I can't be uh, paying my bills because I don't have enough money, but because I paid my tithes first, then maybe I need to work on what I'm spending. It doesn't mean I don't tithe. And I've heard everything you can imagine from Christians over the years. Well, you should be more responsible to the credit card. Yeah, by not using it. Not paying it first. Pay the tithe first. I do that first. I've done it all my life. Not just my adult life. I tithed. I tithed when I was, a, from, from the time I was eight years old, my parents explained tithe. I started tithing. I made $3 a week. Tithe 30%. I mean, 30 cents. <laughs> and, but they also made me, you know, you, you tithe 10%, save 10%, spend uh, 80%. Right? So, so I when, I, when I wasn't a Christian, when I went to the Navy, I still tithed. 
I, still, I was not a Christian, and I sent it back to my home church. Why? Anybody got an idea why? Fear. Complete terror. My parents had me convinced, and, and rightfully so, by the way, that if you didn't tithe, you would be, you'd be laying in a gutter drunk. I don't know how the drunk came in, but laying in a gutter drunk, broke, homeless, because you didn't tithe. And here's the thing, you better think that way. You say, no, I just, I have a friend of mine that used to always debate back and forth. No, tithing is completely about relationship and giving. Okay, but he also went a season in his life when he didn't tithe and his finances fell completely apart because it was all about, well, I don't feel it right now. Okay, but that doesn't mean God's word changes because you don't feel. We're not supposed to live by feeling, we live by God's word. And I'm going to be obedient I'm going to do what God says, regardless of what I think about it or feel about it. Yeah, he says that in Malachi. It's the only place in Scripture that it says that. God says, I, will, you know, I won't let the grapes fall from the vine too early. I will open the storehouse of heaven. And he says, you can try me and test me on this. And I've said this to many people over the years when it comes to tithing. Start tithing, and if after six months nothing has changed, call God a liar and stop tithing. But, but to make that commitment, you've got to be completely all in, 100%. You're not going to goof around. You're going to do what the Bible says, and you're going to tithe for six months. And then you come back to me, look me in the face, and say, God is not faithful. And if anybody in here is not tithing, do that. Come back and tell me to my face, God is not faithful. And I've never had anybody do that. Why? Because he's faithful. And his word is true, and he says you can test him. So he says, I'm not going to take your offerings if you're, if you're not. As Al said, it's the offering giver that's the point. Where's your heart? Where's your mind? Where's your existence in this? I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. Guys, that's pretty strong. God says, I'm tired of hearing your praise songs. Why? Yeah, it's your heart that he's looking for. He's not, he's not looking for the, the sound, the music. You understand the music is, is a secondary thing to God. Now, I really believe that God really likes music. Because he created it. He designed it. There was an old Petra song. Um, God gave rock and roll to me. I believe that. And my parents hated that song because they hated Christian rock. They hated it. Um, it was of the devil. And I would, I would tell them, this was my discussion with my parents on this. The songs that are saying, Jesus, I love you, to a rock guitar of the devil, but Dolly Parton singing, I want to have an affair with somebody I'm not married to, is okay. Anybody following me there? My parents, my dad, not as much. My mother loved country music. We listened to Casey Kasem's Top 20 Countdown every Sunday on the way to church. And, and then she'd pick on my Christian rock, and I'm like, it's, it, was a, it was a age thing, cultural thing, and all that kind of stuff. Because over time, she, she really lightened up some, maybe, I don't know. But, but this is the thing is, 
You can go into churches and you can sing all the Christian songs and the hymns and everything that you want to do. And that doesn't mean that the Lord is residing within your praise. And it doesn't mean he likes it. And it doesn't mean that your heart is right. When your heart is right, your heart is right. Not because you're doing the stuff. And, and I've watched this as a kid. I've seen this as a, as a pastor. I've seen people that can do all of the stuff as a Christian, all the things, all the rules, do all the things, go to church, you know, do the, the money thing, do the, the Sunday school thing, do whatever, do the singing, do whatever, all the stuff. And there's not an openness and an intimacy with the Lord in their heart and life. There's not a, a broken, passion-driven existence of, of just kneeling before the king and wanting to know who he is. And guys, that's a, that's a dangerous place for us to be. It says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a flood of justice, a mighty flood of justice. Isn't that a great sentence? Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. Now, who is he talking to? He's not talking to Washington, D.C. Talking to Israel in the big sense, but until we get to this place, and, I, and, I, and I'm not trying to, trying to pick on this because I'm not saying we're a bunch of backslidden, whatever. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I am trying to say this we've got to be careful that it's not always they, but it's me. It's not always them, but it's us. Lord, what do you want to do with us? And, and here's what he wants to do with us He wants us to get on our face before him and seek him, seek his presence and his. And his and his, his closeness and his intimacy. That when we worship, it's really from our heart. That, that, we're, that we're declaring our love for our, our God. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. An endless river of righteous living. That's what he desires. That's what he wants from us. This, this Lord, I'm, I, I want to get close to you. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to be in your presence. Not the stuff. I want to be in your presence. I want, to, I, want to, I want to pursue you and your word at all times. The question that I ask every now and then, when is the last time that you got on your face before God and you did not get up until he had completely broken you? Because that's what he's looking for. He wants you. He doesn't. All the other stuff is, is ways that we get to know him. It's not, it's not him. Having, having worship times. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, right? We come in, we sing three songs or what, four songs or whatever, and then, um, and then I speak, and then we all go home. Got to take up an offering in there because I got to get paid. So that's, that's how the service goes. At what point do we just say, God, I, I'm here this morning because I just want to tell you that I love you, that I need you, that my life is nothing without you. I am, I am broken without you, and I just need you. What do you want to do with me, Al? If I can honestly, truthfully see him as my beloved, 
totally acceptable to him because he is acceptable to me. And I will do whatever I can, whatever I need to, whatever is shown to me to make myself as acceptable to him as I can be, regardless of anybody or anything else. It's just him and me. And that will overflow to other people. Yeah. But it's about Jim? How, how much and how important he is to me. Jim? Yeah. And, um, and, and it's just when you get to the point where you don't see anything else in terms of relationship except him, then you have begun <coughs> to make that progress, that, that, that transport from uh, uh, just being a Christian to being his. Just yeah, th this is why, for me personally, this is why, um, you know, halfway, well, first for me personally, halfway anything is not, I don't like halfway. It, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not really, which, which is part of an obsessive personality, which can be a negative thing, right? But, but for the most part, I don't think that's, an, other people see it as a negative. I never have. I used to be a crazy, crazy workaholic, and, I, and I'm not now. I've, I've actually worked on that. My wife has helped me work on that. But, I, I mean, I, 12, 13, 15 hours a day, I'd be at the church doing stuff, visiting. I never was at home, all that kind of stuff. And as my kids got older, I, I realized I'm missing some very important things. And my wife, my wife actually went to the board one time behind my back. And um, it, it was, it was. I know, I know without a doubt, my wife has always only wanted the best for me. I mean, we've, I fought with her like I didn't think that was true, but I, I know that that's true. And uh, she went to my board, and my board came at the next board meeting. My, pa my board said, Pastor, we've got a plan for you this summer. We'd like to, we'd like to do something. We, this summer coming up, we want you to only come into the office two days a week. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. You know, I'll, I'll probably do that some. And I mean, I'll still be doing my other. And they said, no, this really isn't like a, a suggestion. Um, your wife has told us that you will only be coming in two days a week during the summer. <laughs> and it, for, for a split second, I was like, she's going to get it when I get home. <laughs> and then I realized, and that was the first of many great summers with my kids. That was the first one. We got a membership to um, Elitch. It changed to Six Flags right around in that time frame, and then they sold it back. But we got a membership to Elitch, and we went to Elitch like uh, at least once a week. I hated Elitch. <laughs> you guys don't, if not from around here, it's the Six Flags that's up in Denver. I hated it, and it, eventually I'd just go, and I'd go in and sit down in a lawn chair and just wait, and my kids would eventually come back, you know. So, but it began to change the way I looked at things. I'm very obsessive. It's my personality. I'm a driven person. It's my person. I don't do that at all now. I, I work like an hour a day now, max. I don't even. <laughs> but uh, uh, 
but I, I know what it is to be obsessive. And here's the thing with me is I don't understand people that are halfway about stuff. And I really don't understand people that are halfway about God. I just don't get that. And, and, and also knowing at the same time that I'm guilty of that, okay? I, I do know that, that there are times when I'm just, I'm just kind of one foot in, one foot out kind of thing. But for the most part, and, I, and I, I'm being honest here, for the most part, that's not really who I am. I really am an all-in with God. I, I want God to be my God completely, and I submit and surrender my life to him. And if I told you all the things in my life that I I judge that by, you would think about half of those are crazy and legalistic and all this other stuff. But in my personal pursuit of my relationship with God, they're important to me. You may see them as legalistic or over the top or fanatical, but in my relationship with God, they're very important to me. They're my disciplines. They're the path that I take because why? I'm pursuing God. And life, everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. Who I'm as a pastor or a leader or whatever flows out of I am pursuing God. It is. Yeah, that's why I don't go over all of my spiritual disciplines and my and my stuff, because God has told me things that are specific to me, and they're not they're not out of the Bible. They're they're just specific things with me. And if I begin to walk down that road with you, uh, I've done this before over the years, and people will start saying, Well then, should I do that? Do I need that? And I used to think, 25 years ago, I would say, yes, you need, to, you need to do all the things that God has told me to do. In fact, I would preach that stuff sometimes. And I didn't realize that's not, God, God doesn't, there are, the Bible is the same for us all. Go by that. Those rules are the same for all of us. And you can't compromise them. But sometimes God just tells you something, right? You don't always have to tell everybody else because it's not the same for everybody else. Right? Yeah. Just real quickly, if you've ever had to establish course via GPS, for instance, if you're sailing a boat from one place to another, you have to set what's called waypoints. Because um, there's no such thing as sailing in a straight line and everything else isn't straight. So you set waypoints. But as I set waypoints for my perception of that course, it's not going to be the same as anybody else's. They're all going to set their own waypoints. And that's what you have. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are things that are the same for all of us, okay? I'm not saying you can pick and choose the Bible the way. That's not what I'm saying. If it says it in the Bible, that's the law. That's the rules. You go by that no matter what. But, and since that was my job in the Navy, uh, setting, setting the waypoints really is important. All right, let's pray. So how are we going to pray about this? I said that and everybody went... How are we going to pray about this? What's God stirring in your heart? Yeah, that's a, man, that's a great place to start with every prayer in your whole life. Just, Lord, I want to love you, and I want to love you more. Teach me. What else? What's God stirring in your heart? <clears throat> yeah, I really do believe time is getting short, and we need to tell people. We've got to tell people. What? Yes. Worship God in spirit and in truth, not in you. Yes, sir. Yeah, not just our actions, but everything. That's a, that's a great. We should be praying that all the time.
Yeah, very, very important. Where, where do I not measure up, Lord? Put the plumb line against my life. And this is good. We're all tracking really well. All right, something else? Anybody else? Yeah, work on your weaknesses. Don't ignore them. Work on your weaknesses. The Lord will help you, not by yourself. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you knowing that you are God above everything. You're God and we're not. Lord, and I do believe that sometimes you really do get frustrated with the show that we put on. God, you just want us, you want our heart, you want our intimacy. And, and we, we put on the show. God, I, I don't think it's always for you. I think we put on a show for others most of the time. God, we ask you to forgive us for that. Wash us clean. God, test our life. Show where do we not measure up, Lord. Op open our hearts to see that and then help us to work on those things. Lord, I know that you are loving and you are graceful and you're forgiving. You're not trying to show us stuff to, because you, you don't like us. You're trying to show us stuff because you do like us. So, Lord, forgive us and help us to walk in you. And, God, we pray that you have our heart, completely our heart. And, Lord, I pray that for Church of Briargate at large, that, God, we won't just be a church that gets together and does stuff, but, Lord, we will we'll be your people that get together to worship you. That will be your people that declare who you are to those around us. And God, we thank you for this. We thank you. You've decided to use us and to choose us and to forgive us. God, and that, that's amazing within itself. So Lord, just bless us tonight with you. As every person here or everybody that's listening online, Lord, as they lay their head on their pillow tonight, just remind them that they could... They could drift off to sleep talking to you. Lord, give us that little moment where we could just connect with you and just, just enjoy you for a, a few minutes. Just enjoy your presence and your spirit. Just lay there and worship you and connect with you. Lord, we thank you for these moments and these times. And I pray that all through our church that those will keep moving forward and keep being what's, what sets us apart from, from who we used to be is that we are going to pursue you with everything about us. God, we thank you for that. You're pretty amazing, God. And we don't tell you that enough. You're pretty amazing. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, two things. One, next Wednesday night is business meeting. It's our annual business meeting. We do want everybody here. Um, if you're a voting member, we desperately need you here, or you need to be here, really. You're, there, there are books out in the foyer on the table that have your name on it. If you're a voting member, there are blank ones. If you just want to show up and be a part of it, and that has all the stuff in there, okay? And we also, Michael's going to need some help setting up um, this room for the uh, Seder dinner Friday night. All right? Yep. See you then.